0: So we are continuing our series in John's Gospel, and we're picking up, we're going to go through the second half of chapter 14. We're going to be starting at verse 15. And this is, really, this could be the fourth point of last week's sermon. Um, We looked at the eternal glory last week, the the, the promise that Jesus gave of, my Father's house has many rooms, I'm preparing a place for you. Jesus tells them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, Uh, come to me, come through me, to the Father. And then really what follows this is now Jesus saying, let not your hearts be troubled because the Spirit is coming. So let's read then John chapter 14 from verse 15. The words will be on the screen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming." He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. May the Lord add the blessing to the reading of his Word. Father, we thank you for your words. Lord, make my words clear. Would they be words of you? Would you speak to us? And as we look at the promise of the Holy Spirit this morning, Lord, would you touch our hearts? Would you minister to us? Amen. I don't believe in the Trinity. I'm waiting for Nathan to come and rugby tackle me off the platform. It's a statement that should be setting off alarm bells in your heads right now. Because it is of, and I categorically don't believe it, don't clip that and post it online and say I pass as a heretic, but of all the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith, the Trinity, who God is, sits at the very foundation of it. Today in this passage, we find one of the most, the the fullest, the most beautiful, and I think the most glorious descriptions of the triune God that we see in Scripture. The Council of Nicaea in the, the fourth century, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. We looked at two questions, a question and a statement last week from Thomas and Philip. They know Jesus is going. I don't need to go over this again. We know that the context here is difficult. Jesus is going. His friends are disturbed. They are scared. They don't know really what's coming, though Jesus keeps repeating himself to them. But Jesus is assuring them that when he goes... Have hope. Have hope in all eternity that comes. Understand that in the present, I am with you, and know that through prayer, that was the very end of the last verses last week. There is a living relationship with God, and now we moved to this place. There's really two themes here. The two themes in this are the Spirit and obedience. I'm going to stick predominantly with the Spirit today because to do both, no, I was you would be here a very long time if I tried to cover both. So we're going to focus this morning on the Spirit. So the first question for us to answer is, who is the Holy Spirit? And that is our first question. Our first question is, who is the Holy Spirit, not what is the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is not an object. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is He, not it. We never refer to the Spirit as it, And that's important for us to set in place. The Spirit is living, is active, and is a person of the triune God. Do you know, I consider doing a little survey throughout the Scriptures of the Spirit, but it lands us a lot in John 16, and I don't want to put poor Andy Hunter off in four weeks' time, so I'm going to leave John 16 where it is uh, and stick with as much as we can pull from this passage. And we find three names for the Spirit used in John's Gospel. And conveniently, all three of them are in this passage for us. We have the first and where we're going to spend most of this time. We have the helping presence, the helper that we find in verse 16, verse 26. Following that in verse 17, we have the spirit of truth. And thirdly, we have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to, we're going to focus on the first two. The third one is that that general term that we use for God. But I want to spend our time in these first two words and look at who is the spirit of God. So in this, we come to the helper, the first name that we encounter and where we'll spend a good bit of our time. Jesus asks the Spirit to send another helper. I don't often reference the original language because there's usually very little benefit in a sermon, but I think the the, the original word they use here is going to be really helpful for us because there's nothing in English that compares to it. You might know the the word is paraclete, and it is the word for helper that is used here. You might recognize that word. There's hymns all the way through church history that reference the spirit as the paraclete. I found a wonderful hymn from the 12th century from John Neal: Come thou holy paraclete and from thy celestial seat send thy light and brilliancy. Father of the poor draw near. Giver of all gifts he here Come the soul's true radiance. The reason I bring this word is because in English, there is no way for us to define this in a single word. The word we have here is helper, but it's far more than that. This is our advocate in a legal sense. This is our comforter, counselor, helper. All of those words are encapsulated within this word paraclete. Uh, There's a sense of greatness to it. It's not possible for a human to be a paraclete, the paraclete. Uh, It is infinitely big. Um, it takes somebody of infinite ability and power and greatness to be the paraclete. These aren't human attributes, but they point to one that is bigger than us. That's why I bring you this word. And here's where I think this gets really, really exciting. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete, but he calls him another paraclete. We find the same word, First John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, the same word, paraclete, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The paraclete is Jesus, our advocate, our comforter, our counselor, our helper. Jesus will send another, another who is just like him who will fulfill the roles and the functions as Jesus did, in light of Jesus departing earth, the Spirit will come and take his place. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to leave you helpless. I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. I'm not going to abandon you. But I'm praying to the Father that he will send one, that one will come who will strengthen you, who will empower you. One that will be with you and will help you stand in power. Why is it significant? Because it's evidence of the Trinity. The, The Son and the Spirit are one, just as they are one with the Father. The Paraclete is greater than any man could be, and we see Jesus here giving this ministry to the Spirit. There's almost a sense in which this is the transition for which Jesus says, okay, as my time comes to an end, the Spirit will now fulfill what I have done. He will continue and carry on my ministry. The Holy Spirit will replace disciples what they are so scared to lose. The Spirit, the paraclete, will come. It's a real blessing for us in there, isn't it? That this sense of abandonment, of loss, isolation, loneliness that these disciples knew. Their saviour wasn't abandoning them. Their savior was fulfilling his plans and his purposes. And he was giving his spirit to be with them. Beautiful. Wonderful. And as we come into verse 18, we talk a lot of the doctrine of justification. And rightly so, we are justified by the blood of Christ. At Calvary, I think at times we emphasize the doctrine of adoption less. I read this this week. A judge can equip you. It takes a father to adopt you. Just as God had been present with them through Jesus, he will continue to be with them through his Spirit. The Spirit ensures this continuity of the pre and post cross ministry, the pre and post glorification ministry of Jesus. The Spirit's coming and the Spirit's going to advance the work of the Lord Jesus. And of course, these words are written, we refer now to the 11, not the 12, because Judas is away at the end of chapter 13. But the the Spirit sets out, Jesus sets out for us this focus on the 11. And he's saying to them, you have a a, a real purpose here. There is something that I'm going to do through you that will bless the generations that will go forward. And the Spirit's role, of course, today, the Spirit illuminates for us as believers the meaning of Jesus' words, of His works, of the Scriptures. And He uses us as believers to this unbelieving world. The helper, the helper guides us in truth. He aids us and empowers our witness. And in that, and in this Function that the role of the Spirit is so closely connected to the Lord Jesus. And just as Jesus was sent as the one fully dependent on the Father, obedient to the Father, so is the Spirit sent. Verse 26 The Father will send in my name. The Spirit sent by the Father. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The second word, the spirit of truth. This description emphasizes a key function, a role of the Holy Spirit. It is to reveal truth to the church and to the world. Of course, last week, some of the most famous words of the Bible, Jesus calls himself the truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus, again, is pointing to the continuity of he as the truth and the spirit of truth. This thread both as God. The Holy Spirit will guide the disciples of Jesus into truth. And, of course, there's a specific focus on the disciples, again, here in the words of Jesus. Because these apostles have a unique and a foundational role to play in the life of the church. In the very formation of the New Testament church, these men would be vital. And he's pointing out here that it is the spirit of truth that will guide them to bring together God's written revelation to climax and completion. They would be agents of God's special revelation to us. And in that sense, he is the spirit of truth to them. But of course, he is the spirit of truth for all generations. He is the one who leads us as believers into truth. He doesn't do this without the reference to his divine revelation of truth that we find in the scriptures. And what he provided these disciples in Revelation, those who wrote, he continues to provide the church using his illumination, shedding light on the meaning of Scripture, and showing us how to apply it. It is the Spirit of truth who inspired the Word. It is the Spirit of truth who illuminates the Word. It is the Spirit of truth who applies the truth of the Word with power. And this is why at this very essence, the spirit of truth who has empowered these apostles who will go to those who will write as we pull together the scriptures that sola scriptura was the very heartbeat, is the very heartbeat of Protestantism. And it's why it was the rally cry of the Reformation. Because you will find no new, you will find no fresh revelation. Then in Rome, in the Pope, in bishops, and priests, Today you will not find it in churches or pastors or visions or dreams or angels because we have the special divine revelation of God written by men, breathed by God, inspired by the spirit of truth. And it was the man at the heart of that reformation, Martin Luther, in the face of excommunication that said the famous words, unless therefore I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture, or by clearest reasoning, unless I am persuaded by means of the passages I have quoted, and unless, uh, and unless they thus render my conscience bound by the Word of God, I cannot and will not retract, for it is unsafe for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen." in a society and parts of the church that would continue to try and degrade the value of the word. Let us hold it in highest regard because it is the truth, the spirit of truth. The word was God and the word was with God. Paul tells us, Ephesians 3, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed now to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles and our fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It is the Spirit using the apostles, the prophets, that this mystery, this redemptive drama, if we like, that we are almost at the crescendo of here in John 14. And then it's the Spirit of truth that releases the mystery of Christ for the benefit of all generations through the apostles and the prophets. The Messiah is coming. The Old Testament points forward points forwards to the one who would come. Christ comes, he fulfills his purposes. And then we're given the word, we're told to take this good news of him to the nations. Verse 27, the peace of Christ. This isn't a name of the spirit, but I just wanna pull this in here as well. My peace I leave with you, My my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you break that down the piece I leave with you Jesus is leaving it's imminent it's coming he's walked with them in body for three years this is their best friend this is the guy that they cling to this is the guy that they know this is the guy that they love this is the guy that bails them out of really difficult situations this is the one who controls the weather and calms the storms this is the guy that provides food when there is none This was the guy that was the target of all the pelters from the religious leaders, and now he's about to leave them. And it caused them no peace. It caused them no peace at all, but Jesus has a plan for that. My peace, I give you. What peace does Jesus leave with them? Well, he leaves his own peace. He doesn't delegate the responsibility of peace at all. The peace is his very own There would be ultimate peace, peace between man and God, reconciled because of this man, Jesus, the lasting effects of which would be known to this day because of the peace of Christ given to us through the Spirit. This is a different peace. This is not the peace that the world gives. The world's peace is circumstantial, isn't it? It changes with circumstances. We're told we get rid of the things that distress us. Run away, quit, get away from it, medicate it, eat, check out, give up, just change, whatever you have to change in those circumstances, then you'll find peace. Go to your idols for comfort. I found last week's evening service really helpful as we considered what is worship and this idea that we're always worshiping. Everybody's always worshiping. The question is, what are you worshiping? Or who are you worshiping? What is it that affects you? What is it that makes you most excited? What is it that concerns you most? What is it that engages you and excites you and everything else? And in those high moments and low moments, as you look at them, you begin to discover what it is we treasure most, and we discover the idols of our hearts. But this is an unending cycle of hell, trying to find comfort and peace in the world. There are the obvious things. The obvious things of pornography and drug and alcohol addiction, adultery, there are those things that we know are bad. And then there's, of course, the more socially acceptable idolatry of our families and our careers. Well, they give us peace. But Jesus' peace is something altogether different, and it has nothing to do with circumstance at all. It passes our understanding. There's a peace that says God is in control and he loves you. And if you walk in union, communion with him through Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelling you, you will walk in perfect peace. Jesus is leaving his peace achievable only through his death. And you will know that continued peace through the paraclete, the helper, the advocate, the spirit of truth. Second question, much quicker, whom did the Holy Spirit come for? Verse 17, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and uh, you in me and I in you. And verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The Holy Spirit came for all who would believe. We're told that those that don't believe won't receive the Spirit. Why? Because they do not see him and they do not know him. But Jesus, in contrast, says to his disciples, because you know him, he dwells in you. And the second thing with that, he is present with us as God's people. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit abides in us as God's people. He is the gift from the Father and an answer to the prayer of the Son. The Spirit dwells in them, taking the place of the Master that was with them. And of course, God's Spirit had been here on earth before. empowered men and women of the old testament to accomplish great works however during that age the spirit of god would come on people and would leave them for samuel 16 we see the spirit of god depart from king saul david when confessing his sins in psalm 51 asks that that the spirit would not be taken from him but when the holy spirit was given to all that believe at pentecost he was given to god's people and would remain with them forever Even though we might grieve the Spirit, even though we will be disobedient, he will not leave us. He will not abandon us. He is with us. God is present. The way we treat the Holy Spirit is the way that we treat the Lord Jesus. Our bodies are temples of the Spirit. What we do with our bodies, honor or don't honor that God. Spirit of truth wrote the word of God and the way we treat the Bible is the way we treat the Spirit of God and the Son of God and the father so the last question is what does the Holy Spirit do wonderful verse 26 but the helper of the Holy Spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all all that I have said to you. This isn't exclusive. There are, I think, about 10 functions of the Spirit. A lot of them we'll come to in a few weeks in John 16. Um, The the first thing we see is that the Spirit indwells believers. That's what the Holy Spirit does, I would say, would be the first thing in there. And, And the thing that we pull from this passage is he teaches and reminds us of Christ's work. The primary role of the Spirit is to teach us and remind us of Christ's work. For those who don't know Jesus, the mysteries remain a mystery and will remain a mystery for all eternity. But the indwelling Spirit brings an understanding and from that understanding we have comfort. And the Holy Spirit brings before their troubled hearts and our troubled hearts the Word of God and applies it for comfort. That's why we use the Word when we visit people. Whether in home or at hospital, we use the Word because the word brings the peace of God. And it is marvelous in its comfort. And secondly, he comforts God's people. Just as Jesus said before them last week remember what's to come. Remember, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm with you. Remember, I give myself to you. You can pray to me. I will hear you. I will listen. And really, this point is, let not your hearts be troubled. I will send the paraclete, another helper, who will guide you, guard you, and teach you. And to finish, we come then in verse 30. To words that have shaken me this week, um, just verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me. Satan's coming. The prince of darkness, the ruler of the things of this world is coming for Jesus. He's using Judas and that pathetic amount of money that Judas accepts. He's gathering the soldiers and he's ready. He's ready to go and arrest Jesus. Judas has betrayed his master. Satan's buzzing. This is it. This is it. The one that claims to be king. The one that claims to be above all and in all things. I'm about to take him down once and for all. This is it. This all-powerful, supreme, sovereign God, down with him. Down with him. And Jesus responds, he has no claim on me. Friends, the magnitude of these words The ruler of darkness, the prince of peace, thinks he's won. He thinks his schemes are about to come to fruition. But little does he know we're about to reach the pinnacle of the purposes of the son. Little does he know that God has written this story in eternity past. Little does he know that what Satan intended for evil, God is about to use for good. The ultimate good. Satan has no claim on Jesus. If you are in him, Satan has no claim on you. If you know and love the Lord Jesus, whatever baggage, whatever sin, whatever struggle, heart, whatever mountain, however insurmountable it seems in your life, whatever keeps you awake at night, the fear, the dread, guilt, anxiety, hear it clearly, it has no claim on you. Satan has no claim on you. You are not his. You are a child of God, justified by the Son, adopted by the Father, and sanctified by the Spirit. Your creator and sustainer king has claim on you. Your name is written Your name is sealed in the book of life. You belong to the king. Your sin does not define you. Your struggles, hearts, griefs, everything that is wrong of this world does not define you and it does not have claim on you. Jesus Christ, your king, does. And by his spirit, another paraclete dwells in you, and is with you. The Spirit of God continues throughout generations to work and transform lives. The truth is proclaimed, it is heard, it is known across the nation. We have that task of this wonderful gospel message of Jesus. Jesus claimed that Satan, death has no claim on me. The grave has no claim on me. The message that he has defeated death And if you come to know that truth of Christ through the Spirit, you too can say, Satan has no claim on me. I'm a child of God and I'm walking in the light. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've set us free. You have set us free from the bondage of sin and shame. That though Satan would try his hardest, betray one of, eh, convince one of your closest friends to betray you. Still, Lord, he could not overcome you. That you would go to that cross. That you would die. And for those days, it looked as if hope could be lost. Then triumphant, you rise from that grave. He has no claim on me. Lord, we worship you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, all that you will do. That you would send your one and only son to reconcile us to yourselves and you would send your spirit to be with us now. Lord, we do not deserve it. We thank you for your grace. Your mercy poured out upon us. Amen.